Well, I think I would like a much greater emphasis on lifelong learning. Learning as a force for social good, not just as a matter for development and employment. Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast and this series episode of the VocTech Podcast, Learning Continued, which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. My name is Sophie Bailey and you can follow online at hashtag VocTechPodcast and at Podcast EdTech and at UFI Trust on Twitter. We love all your feedback, so if you're listening in, do ping us a note or subscribe to our newsletter to keep in touch. A big shout out to UFI VocTech Trust and UFI Ventures for supporting this series and vocational skills development in the UK through their investments and grants in vocational technology. And as if you didn't know already, the UFI VocTech Seed Fund is open until the 13th of February. So if you've got an idea for a project that uses digital tech to help people improve the skills they need for work across the UK, do apply now for grants of 15k to 50k available. Right, this week's episode is all about lessons from a lifelong learner. You'll hear from the exuberant Kath Brown, the Open University Students Association president and a prolific learner both online and offline. On self-directed learning, Kath was recently quoted as saying, I think we can all think of activities that are conventionally done with other people, but occasionally we do it on our own, which I think is a brilliant and cheeky truism if ever there was one. Listen in to be inspired about using technology and learning, the importance of good mentors and flexible learning from 3am to much later on in the autumnal season of our adult lives. Before all of that, we dip straight into our FE feature with Ian Hurd in conversation with Emma Ball, Head of Learning Technologies and Tom Davies at Solihull College and University Centre. Emma's team was recently involved in the production of an exclusive ITN video showcasing the college's use of virtual reality, and the footage premiered at the Learning for Life event hosted by ITN Productions and the Association of Colleges last November. In this chat, you'll hear all about their work in virtual reality and skills development. Right, here we go. So I'm sitting here at Solihull College and University Centre with Emma Ball, Head of Learning Technologies, and our technician... Tom Davis. Head Learning Technologist. Oh, Learning Technologist. The Chief. Don't promote him. I'd like to pay him some more. So, uh, yeah, I've been hearing, uh, hearing amazing things about what you're doing here with virtual reality and augmented reality with the learning. Yeah, if you could just give us an outline of, of all of this great stuff you've been doing, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so um, we started off just purchasing some general VR kit, like some uh, cardboards and just some mobile phones. We had a few apps on there that we, we were just trying out, and it sort of it just went from there, really. So we had um, one of our computing tutors, Simon, he actually worked with West Midlands Fire Service, made a, an app, and we was able to use that with public services. And that was really when things started to gear up with that, because we could bring that into a lesson. And there was, um, there's like a major scenes module they have to do. Well, I'm sure you can appreciate, you can't take students to a, a crash outside on the road. Well, you could, but... Well, <laughs> you can't play The paperwork, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
So um, basically, it, it means that they could experience sort of a simulated version of that and then sort of act as a, as a team. So someone's like the first responder on a, on a scene. Someone's in the control room relaying that information, uh, work on their communication skills as well. And we brought all that into into a lesson. So we're able to actually experience it. And it wasn't just all theory. So, that sounds um, amazing. That's how it started. And then other areas of the college then um, just want to use use VR. So we've done some work with the the, uh, the media teams about using uh, VR as sort of a more of a technical medium to, to advertise on and then that to use that as part of their um, final mark project. Um, we've also had some of the level ones giving it a go just to see how they sort of take to the technology. And, and actually, it's great from an accessibility point of view for the, the level ones because yeah. they have higher needs than, than your, your average student. Student. and we had entry-level hair and beauty and then they were using that for skills like coordination uh, balance judging distance because of course all beauty and, and hair related uh, skills you, you need to be doing that on somebody you need to know what you're doing and we've just recently done a, a training session with Borsal Common School uh, a taster day I should say they came in uh, we had some AR apps where they were doing their own makeup we also had um, VR where they were sort of putting hair on a, a bit of a statue it so, adds a whole new dimension oh, doesn't yeah. it so the learning they're just so immersive yeah I bet they love it it sounds oh, really do. engaging they do yeah everyone loves it and it's it's, it's quite good in the sense of you get some learners that are a bit weary of, of the technology, but then they sort of go, oh, hang on. And they realise there's, there's something to it and, and they, they tend to come around. And again, like we said, with the level one learners for media, they they have a, a lot of um, needs and it just sort of brought things like a fresh perspective for them. It's amazing. So they're, they're okay with that. Where do you get all the content for this? <laughs> well, believe it or not, making it yourself. Um, no, um, most of it we we sort of we just we just find. So we look for a lot of free. Um, educational resources that are out there we do buy um resources so for example um tilt brush uh, from google we have to buy so we brought a license for that it's amazing um, isn't it but I love yeah that program. It's it's great. Great. it is pretty good yeah so we do have Corey, our technician, and a whole VR degree level course. So we have students actually in the college who are developing VR content. Um, we're looking at opportunities at the moment to offer live briefs for students as we're finding needs around curriculum. Yeah. So um, we've just relaunched our digital strategy um, for the next three years. And as part of that, we're looking um, for projects that we can embark on in different curriculum areas that suit their needs and their aims going forward. Forward. And we've been working with Corey and the um, also the VR tutors to right. spot opportunities for their students to be involved in developing stuff for other students to be using. That's really interesting, isn't it? And the students are actually developing some of the teaching learning materials as well. Yeah, we've also, um, or we're just about to purchase a programme that does in, um, allows us to put hotspots and quizzes into immersive 360 video. So we're hoping that that will be a bit of a game changer because yeah. it doesn't need as much technical specialist skill to actually create some content. Yeah. So oh, we're hoping great. that we can work with curriculum teams to create some content too. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yes. I mean, there's so many ways that this can be used in a yeah. teaching and learning context, you know, with the students making content, yeah. you bringing it in and then learning through being immersed in lots of, you know, real world authentic exactly. situations, which is whole, it's, it's yeah. just new, isn't it? There's so many things. I suppose we're in the early days of it now, isn't it? I mean, do you have a, how are you planning to, uh, to measure the impact of this? Well, when we've done um, sessions so far, uh, we, we get, you know, the, the general ad hoc, how did you find it, that that kind of, uh, you know, that those kind of uh, comments and so on. 
But um, I suppose yeah. that's what matters, really. Isn't yeah, it's how they're engaging. It with is. It, it is. Kind of, you're taking a sort of user-centered approach to. Yeah, because because what it is, if, at the end of the day, if you do something with the students and, and and the learners and it doesn't work, there's no point doing it again. That's really how we we've more adapted what we've got. Uh, tried it with the learners and then they come back and sort of go well yeah that worked well and oh hang on well what about this you know for example using toothbrush is great but if you've got mobility issues and you can't hold the controllers you've you've got something we need to to work on with that yeah um, i think in terms of measuring impact um there's an obvious impact in engagement in that the learners that we work with when we do these activities do seem to be highly engaged by it. In terms of measuring sort of the the more specific curriculum impact, the more control we can have over content and creating content, the more specific we can be in terms of the learning aims we are hoping to achieve from it. And that will allow us to measure the impact better. At the moment where we're using a lot of content that we're we're buying, we're trying, you know, we're having to try and find a way to make it fit I think as we can get better as content creators, we can yeah. we can get better at measuring the impact because we'll have an impact in mind when we create it. With the staff, we want them to be able to create their own resources. So then we sort of facilitate them in creating stuff that's relevant for their, their lessons. Whereas if we just dictate, it doesn't quite work. So we, we sort of, I think moving forward, we're looking at as well to upskill the staff so they can do it and they don't just have to keep knocking on our door and it becomes a, like a, a gimmick or a, a once you know a, a super it, it, so we're trying to get it a bit more it regular, yeah. regular there, is, for the th- there is a danger that it could be gimmicky if we don't make sure that we keep the aims of the courses yeah. that we're, we're serving in mind yeah. and i think that's the the important bit is is working out where it's going to fit and where it's going to add value within the curriculum We've used some of the apps like the autism app and the Alzheimer's app that try and create some kind of empathy by putting learners in a position of somebody who suffers from those kinds of um, problems. Was that the Smile Um, program? No, um, the autism um, app is is actually from the it's is it the Autism Society? Oh, okay. It's 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 actually one of their their apps that they use. When you watch it on a like a phone or you you see it on some other device, it's very much oh you you. You look at it, you think, oh, yeah, oh, I can see through their eyes. But when you put that in a headset and your headset's on and you're seeing that straight into your eyes and also you got the sound mm. into your ears, mm. you are then immersed. And, it, the, and we're talking about impact. That makes the impact. Yeah. And um, we did a little trial with that one with the level one media students. So we got them to look at it without it. Uh, any headset just on a phone first of all and write down a few things um you know to do with how did you find it you know what did you notice got them to put it on a headset and the same sort of thing what did you find what did you notice and they just were blown away by how immersive when i felt like that was happening to me how did this all start then in terms of funding how was it funded originally i think um if i remember correctly we we saw things uh 360 videos thought well we've got a bit of money in the in the budget to spend and we just Got ourselves um, a decent priced uh, 360 camera. Um, we got a few cardboards, like the Google cardboards, things like that for headsets. Then we were told we could spend a, a bit more money if there was a need. So we, we sort of put a case for, well, can we have a few phones? Got a few phones. Then that's what what we started. We started looking for free apps. And then Simon, our computing lecturer, developed the West Midlands Fire service app with with a West Midlands Fire Service. So we, we got that. We started using it with public services. Then we was allowed to spend a bit more money out of the budget and we brought some more devices, more headsets. But um, yeah, if anybody's looking to start it, you start small and just gradually work your way up. So what's on the horizon? Anything new? 
the main thing we're, we're looking at is getting the feedback from learners about what they think because we, we've asked them and they, they have ideas for their own course that they think would be great so we listen to their feedback generating sort of ideas from what they're saying to do with the, the HEVR course their dissertations working with Corey to get elements developed that we can use with the VR kit and um, I think the main thing is training up the staff and basically having more resources that we make available as opposed to free external resources that are good but you don't or you have to make them fit with what you're doing as opposed to create something for a specific purpose they're trying to bespoke it yeah the silly yeah. whole yeah. college experience <laughs> well yeah <laughs> that's a nice idea it is <laughs> well thank you very much for your time and uh yeah great good luck cool thank everything you. sounds amazing thank you <laughs> Our new podcast series is all about adult and vocational education, lifelong learning. So I'm delighted to have a true lifelong learner on the show, Kath Brown. So welcome, Kath. Thanks, Sophie. Glad to be here. Um, To give our listeners a bit of context, Kath is the Open University Students Association president. She's quite a force, holding a traditional degree in maths from Cambridge University, acquired in the 1980s at the conventional age plus two degrees from the Open University and a third one currently being worked on. Outside all of this, her day job is as a secondary school teacher. She's currently taking a sabbatical from her teaching role whilst working as president of the OU Students' Union. And she says that this teaching role also underpins her views towards EdTech. So welcome. Lovely to be here. And uh, that was a nice potted summary of what I've been up to there. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like you've been busy over the years. Yes, it's great fun, though. I mean, I, I love learning. I love education. It's one of those things that I think could be a huge force for good in society. And it's great to be involved in multiple ways. And if we go right back, what were your motivations as a learner when you were at school and, you know, going to Cambridge University as well? I was one of those students who was a bit mixed, really. Subjects I liked, I really really liked and I worked hard on because I was interested in them and things I didn't which back at that age was things like history geography RS all those sorts of things I just kind of was a bit "Mm," and I I didn't try which is not exactly a great model as a teacher is it but I think (laughs) to be honest my, my motivations then were purely and simply I enjoy doing it and I I hate to say it, but when I was 17, the only thing I knew for sure about my future career was I was never, ever going to be a teacher. So what have I spent 25 (laughs) years doing? (laughs) I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, isn't that just the way life goes? You never know how it's going to work out. Absolutely right. Yes. One of the things I often say to the kids I advise is you think you know now what you're going to be Mm -hmm. doing when you're 50. You don't. And if something goes wrong now, it's not the end of the world. Okay, maybe it changes your path, but so what? Yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily because there's all these things about the jobs that you think you're going to go for won't exist. But also, you just don't know, even if that wasn't a factor, like you're just going to end up meeting someone or a chance opportunity. And that's kind of how life develops, I think. Absolutely right. And it's it's good to have that flexibility in your mind. I mean, obviously, it's appropriate and reasonable to have ambitions about what you would like to do, but not to be too rigid about it. And we met before, and I remember listening to you speaking and you know, I thought what was quite fascinating is you've experienced sort of the whole spectrum of all of these different sort of funding models for adult education. So whether, you know, initially it was sort of grants and now obviously it's very much more around sort of a fee-based model. 
And then you've also experienced online learning as well. So I just wondered what your takeaways were from all of those different experiences and how things have changed over the years as well. Well, obviously, as you say, things have changed absolutely massively. I mean, if I look back, I was first in my extended family to go to university, whether I'd have felt able to, given today's model, not just Mm. with the tuition fees, but the whole maintenance loan as well, I I don't know. But I think one thing that's definitely changed for the good is there was much more emphasis on support within universities. It's not so much a case of, right, you're here, get on with it, which to a large extent is what it used to be. Mm. And whereas now there's a feeling that, yes, let's do what we can to enable students to succeed. But what I think is one commonality about what works well is the personal, that it's the people that make a difference to you. Obviously, now we have the technology, we have online learning, we have immediate access to all sorts of information that back in the day you had to go into a dusty old library and Mm -hmm. try and find the right book for. But what you tend to remember, I think, are the people who supported you. And what I remember from Cambridge is a couple of um, particular lecturers who really impressed me and my director of studies, who was great. What I remember from a lot of my open university degrees is an individual tutor or a member of a module team who really either inspired me or gave brilliant advice or you just sometimes just feel a connection with. And I mean, I know a lot of people sort of say of online learning, well, the problem is engagement and feeling that sort of estrangement. You have that screen as a distancing thing. You can also have bad lecturing experiences sort of in the face-to-face as well. These things can happen across both modes, it seems. Absolutely right. I mean, if I'm honest, a lot of my lecturers at Cambridge, um, you know, they were very eminent mathematicians. Communication, however, wasn't exactly their forte. And in some cases, I wouldn't say it was their priority either. Whereas if you want to connect, if you're learning remotely, you can. Obviously, it takes a little bit more effort. You can't just wander down the corridor and happen to meet someone in the kitchen for a coffee, as you can if you're in a hall of residence. Mm. But I actually say that the, the connections I've made with OU friends are probably stronger mm. because, in a sense, you have to put that little bit of effort in. And because you put that little bit of effort in, you, t- you make the effort to carry on doing so. You make that connection. And I would also say that OU tutors, you can feel an incredible connection there knowing that that person out there is caring about how you're doing is, you know, is kind of rooting for you. That can make a whole world of difference. And it's one of the commonalities you'll find with OU graduates is that they'll say that their their student community and their tutors have often been what's actually kept them going. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's quite common in our lives nowadays, isn't it, that we do connect via screens. You know, it's much more often that we use our phones to text or WhatsApp or Facebook, or Twitter, but actually talk to people. (laughs) No, absolutely. And it's almost like having to remember that there's something in having that voice phone call as well. Um, Absolutely, yes. (laughs) So representing the OU student population, I was interested to know sort of how much of that population are perhaps using the open universities to reskill and perhaps pick something up and then re-enter the workforce. We've got quite a lot of people who are looking at yep, career changes, mm. who are moving on. I mean, for example, our, a lot of our engineering students are already working in the engineering field, but they need to get the degree in order to progress further. 
we have other people who are taking the degree because they definitely want a career change. Quite a common thing for OU students is actually looking to go into education in some form or another as their job, i.e. Mm. teaching, lab tech, those sorts of uh, sorts of areas. And we've got people who are coming to us in their more like the conventional uni age, mm. late teens, early 20s, who are looking for a first proper job, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. What really struck me as well, so you had this sort of teaching career and then also completed the Open University degrees. And I think a lot of people would think, you know, being able to study alongside, I know you're on a sabbatical now, but what is seen as quite a sort of rigid profession in terms of, you know, you have that grid of, you know, who's working when and it's very timetabled. So could you talk us through a little bit like how you came into teaching and then also how you did your OU studies alongside and then being flexible in terms of taking a sabbatical and that, and that kind of thing as well? Of course. To be honest, this doesn't sound very good, does it? But I, I kind of got into teaching by accident because I was thinking, oh, who'll give me a job? And I actually... <laughs> and I it actually always started... helps, you know, focus <laughs> the mind when you... Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I actually started teaching to begin with without a teaching qualification at a little retake college in London. And I thought I was doing it as just an interim thing until I actually got my life sorted out. And I actually found I really, really enjoyed Mm. it, which which prompted me to go and do the proper teacher training and then, you know, have a vaguely proper teaching career. Open university alongside it. I mean, for me, the open university is it's a luxury. I'm not doing it for career change I'm doing it because I really love studying and I really like the subjects and what started me on that was when I was at school I was slightly unsure between maths versus Mm. chemistry and I had occasion that I moved closer to work moving closer to work basically gave me an hour extra in my day and I was thinking oh I've got free time so of course me being me I decided to fill it (laughs) so that started me off with the open university study and it worked fine round teaching because indeed behind every job because that's how it's designed that Mm. obviously you are you can study at your own pace in the evenings you have fixed deadlines with assignments though extensions are available if you have extenuating circumstances but they're not kind of interfering with the day job you have tutorials to go to and it's really really helpful if you do go to them not just because you make your tutor and other students but obviously helps you develop your understanding and so on but if you can't go to them no one's going to shoot you for it, so to speak. And they'll either be in evenings, generally speaking, or weekends. So you can fit them around. Obviously, the standard thing for anyone is the whole time management thing. Mm. And some people do it that they have a very strict timetable with themselves, that they say they'll come home every evening and they'll study for a couple of hours. One of my closest friends get up, gets up at half three every morning wow. and is before the kids get up. I'm always getting messages from her about half five saying, uh, you know this thing here, what do you think about that? <laughs> wow. She's on the, the final year of her degree now. She's headed for first and she's got a place at Oxford to do her uh, doctorate next. Which That's is incredible. Just lovely. For me, I, I guess it was probably slightly easier for me because the studying felt like me time. You know, the thing where normal people decide they're going to have a nice relaxing bath or they're <laughs> going to chill on the sofa and watch some rubbish TV. Me, I do, I do studying for that. Yeah, I think that's the thing, though, is is that time. So I feel like there's a lot of resources out there, but it's finding the time rather than, you know, lack of resources being available. And so sort of, yeah, that's quite an interesting part of self-directed learning, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. And that 
brings it back to the personal thing as well. And also having the actual structure. I mean, people have said to me, you're paying a large sum of money to do this. Mm -hmm. Could you not just go and read the books? And I think, well, I could. But the question is, would I? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas when you've got something to focus on and you've got other people working alongside you it gives you that extra push to keep going even when your life's a bit uh, a bit messy and you're thinking oh no I haven't got time <laughs> and so on the technological front so I guess you know online learning sort of evolved out of almost you know you had the postal technology to begin with and now absolutely <laughs> everything's kind of evolved from that I just wondered, yeah, where you see, so we were talking about EdTech in relation to sort of the school sector as well, where it's sort of useful and where the kind of main benefits come from and perhaps where you'd qualify them more. I think the main thing with EdTech, talking about it from both ends, obviously, mm. is firstly, I know this sounds obvious, but that it works reliably. It, there's nothing worse as a teacher when you've planned a lesson based on something and then the server goes down or anything like that but and I think as you say the context the not doing things for the sake of it there can be a tendency within schools to think if you're having an observed lesson you've got Ofsted in oh no I need to make sure I'm using technology in some way or another mm -hmm. and and yeah sometimes you that's there to tick a box but there can be absolutely fantastic ways of using it I mean just to give you an example in my mathematics teaching the fact that instead of having to laboriously draw every single graph by hand, mm -hmm. while students need to be able to draw them by hand, you can use the technology to actually see, to make comparisons, to see how the equation relates to the graph. And that's a huge enabler and it enables people to play. And, and I think that play mentality, that feeling not judged for your work, but able to explore things, is something that tech can be an absolutely great facilitator for. And as a student, obviously, the distance connection is a really, really useful thing. Mm. So, for example, as an OU student, you can access tutorials that are online. So you can be sat there in your pyjamas with a glass of wine as a tutorial, which usually they're a bit funny about if you do that face-to-face, -face, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Although I love this story. There's a great story about Steve Jobs having to learn sort of social etiquette. He was at an event and then someone was chatting to him and he just started doing like a downward dog. <laughs> in front of them and they're like you know that's not really appropriate oh dear. <laughs> but you know some people just kind of like you say they're sort of like well I've got to fill all my time and you know I'm multitasking oh, um, yeah glass of wine and pyjamas sounds yeah preferable Very perhaps exactly. <laughs> yeah there's, I mean there are other aspects as well things like being able to use labs remotely I mean mm. I don't that's not a replacement for being actually in there and getting the test tubes out but the fact that you can do remote experiments or our astronomy students who can use an observatory remotely and collect data that way and that's something that obviously in a professional life an astronomer would be doing as well so those things are absolutely amazing really mm -hmm, that you mm -hmm. can have the chance to, uh, to do those things and there are lots of other potentials as well so for example if someone's struggling, if you have something, a kind of a smart recommender about where they could get back up on that. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, again, in addition to being able to ask for help from a human being. But sometimes people find it a little bit less judgmental if a machine yeah. says, to them, oh, well, have you thought about doing this? So there's a huge potential, I think, with AI as well. We're not, obviously, this is early days for anything AI related, but I think AI would certainly have a potential in those sorts of areas and in should we say quick and easy answering of basic queries as well yeah yeah so yeah doing a sort of segmenting of all the stuff that to be honest is a kind of distraction from better use of quality time with a tutor and that kind of thing mm. 
yeah, just kind of a certain triaging of queries mm. so that they can actually deal with the proper queries about, I'm not sure whether I should study this or that rather than, uh, what's this? When's that? Where's that? <laughs> so, so this series is all about sort of vocational learning. And so one of the questions I'm asking all my guests is if they can share any jobs they've had over the years that perhaps people were less familiar with. So for example, when I was at, when I was studying in sixth form and when I came back from university, I used to be a porter in the local hospital, mm-hmm. uh, which had basically the whole spectrum of life's stories, which was quite interesting. And yeah, I just wondered if you had any any that are like uh, outside of your LinkedIn CV. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I was when I was at school and during university, I worked for the Caves Catalogue Company. You know, one of those that the mail order ones. Yeah, and that was probably the most boring job I've ever done. <laughs> They used to have these silly little competitions in the newspaper where they put fill in this coupon, spot the differences, and we'll send you a £10 voucher. And I was opening the envelopes for those. Oh, my <laughs> days. That was so boring. Um, but it was what was really good in a way was it's a real incentive to get off your backside and get yes. your education there because some people were doing that for their life. Yeah. I felt actually rather privileged that I was only spending eight weeks bored out of my mind. And then you have to be really careful about like uh, articulating how bored you are because like you say the person next to you is kind of like this is my life you're talking about. (laughs) Exactly yeah. Good one yeah I like that. So what would your aspirations be for sort of adult education if you could do anything sort of if you had that sort of magic wand in terms of policy or whatever it might be yeah where would you like to see it or how would you like to see it develop? Well, I think I would like a much greater emphasis on lifelong learning. I mean, I know that the org recommendations Mm -hmm. are going partway towards that, but I think parity for the traditional academic and vocational would be really important to give everyone the same access to funding. It shouldn't be just about the university sector. I mean, obviously, that's really important. But I would also like to see putting a little bit more value on things that don't just Mm. directly lead to higher paid jobs. I mean, Mm. the sort of metrics that we have that focus on Leo data and so on don't really value the other huge benefits that lifelong learning can bring both to the individual and to Mm. society more generally. And they don't really value things that might not be very highly paid jobs, but are incredibly socially valuable. Mm -hmm. So I think probably an enhanced respect for learning as a force for social good, not just as a matter for development and employment. So putting the two together, I mean, if I look back to the 80s, there used to be an awful lot more what I might call adult education in the broader sense, evening classes and those mm. sorts of things. So so I'd like to see those back. I'm also a little bit sad about the suggestion within Augur that we get rid of the existing equivalent or lower qualifications, ELQ exemption for STEM subjects. I mean, under the current system, you can do a STEM degree as a second degree and still be able to access student finance in England. And that looks like that would be going. So I'd like to see that restored because for career changes, it can be really, really important that you go in and you do that other degree that enables you to go into that new field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, mean, I remember uh, hearing from University of East London a couple of weeks back and they were also sort of saying, you, you know, you have your degree, but then now so there's all these kind of bolt-ons as well, which are not kind of recognised in just the degree alone. 
Absolutely. I mean, it is raising the game. I mean, there once was a time, wasn't there, when because not many people had degrees, you could feel that I've got a degree that already distinguishes me from Mm. the rest of the job market. Whereas now, the stakes are going up. I mean, to some extent, it's masters. But then I think part of the future is also going to be the micro credentials, mm-hmm. um, where but, you can have this isolated piece of learning that is actually quite targeted. <laughs> I think I think I completely agree with your point, though. On you know, learning is also you know just part of being human, and we shouldn't sort of take away from the joy of learning. I think there's also a risk when I heard from UEL to sort of forget that for some people it is all about getting that job that is like their laser focus on that and that's fine as well it's like but the two can coexist rather than you know all of government policy being about one or the other but I think that's exactly right that that's what you want is flexibility that we all all have different motives moving back when I originally went to university some people had this very very clear focus that I'm doing this I'm doing this degree that's headed towards a particular occupation you know we're looking at things like medicine dentistry law pharmacy and so on and other people weren't mm. and we don't have to be at cross purposes and people can change their motivations it's one of the things we often see with the OU that someone will start out thinking I just want to see if I can do it. I want to prove something to yeah. somebody. And then as they go along, they find a real passion for an area. And they're then thinking, I need to work in this area. I've got to. And their focus changes. So I think we want flexibility. We want to enable people to achieve their aims. So last question. We always ask our guests any kind of books, people, other resources that you'd like to share with listeners that have kind of resonated and impacted on your life. Ooh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I'm probably not for books and resources so much. It's not what I might call famous people, but mm. just I think sometimes people are a model to you, aren't they? That The way they yeah. quote things. And I'm going to be a little bit cheesy here and say that as regards to lifelong learning, I'd have to say my mum. She was obliged to leave school when she was 16 because back in her day, people from her class didn't stay on. They'd say, great girl like her, what's she out? What's she in school for? She should be out working. And, you know, so she left school at 16. She got a range of jobs throughout her life. Mm-hmm. In her 60s, she decided to do an OU maths degree. She That's amazing. It. I love it. She, yeah, and she loved maths then just as much as she ever did at school. And I was... So proud of her for doing that. And she did various other things. She did evening classes in history. Yeah. But all that lifelong learning, the things she wanted to do younger, she did then. And so, yes, I think in terms of the lifelong learners, in terms of championing lifelong learning, mm-hmm. probably she's been my biggest inspiration. Do, do you know what? The mum comes up a lot. So, <laughs> you know, shout out to all the mums because, yeah, they're definitely having an impact. And Aww. I, I think how I think as well, I mean, it's such an important point, this idea. I think the current structure does make you kind of feel like, well, you've had your chance. You've done your education, like you've been to university, you know, you've got into a career and that's it. And the reality is that people are increasingly setting up amazing ventures or initiatives in their 60s and beyond. And mm. you've got whole universities in China that are dedicated to you know what over 60s students and that kind of thing and it's a really fascinating area I think because our pensions are getting further and further away from us as oh, well, so. just, yes. <laughs> especially for us women <laughs> yes yeah it's just and embracing that and and you know there's never a, a time 
you know, if you can reorganize things to sort of jump back into learning and to whether it's for work or whether it's for pleasure. So, yeah, big yeah. one. And I just will say, thing with the Open University, you don't have to give up the day job. <laughs> <laughs> Great plug. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Kath. And if people want to follow your work and find out more about what you're up to, how do they go about doing that? You can find me on Twitter at Notorious Kath. Notorious Kath. Not the Notorious B.I.G., Notorious (laughs) Kath. Well, thanks so much, Kath. That's been great. That's a pleasure, Sophie. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Huge thank yous to my guests, you for listening in, and UFI Voktek Trust for supporting final shout outs if you haven't already go and sign up to our newsletter in this week's newsletter there's more info on the ufi voctec seed grant which is open now and supporting ideas possibly like yours also oh my god martin hamilton is leaving jisk and setting up in the world of edtech also on top of that emma milqueenie is working with the department for education on flexible working in public schools and uh, seeking any feedback in this area so if any of this is music to your ears go and check out the court our ears section of the newsletter well you'll see all of this and more by way of grant and funding opportunities good reads event discounts and moving on news that's all for now have a great week and until next time bye bye <laughs>